This is a podcast where I talk to people with disabilities to hear their stories. I wouldn't expect anyone to know what life is like for someone who can't walk, can't see, or can't hear. But we have a responsibility to learn and grow throughout our lives. And this podcast is meant to help to see what life is like for someone on the other side. Welcome to Ability. On this episode, I talk to the Adventures of Cat Girl author and Miss Wheelchair Florida, Cat Magnoli. So how are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me today on the show. It's great to have you here. So tell me about your disability as if I know nothing. I was born with spina bifida, which in lame terms is Greek from, and it means split in spine. So when I explain it to anybody, I always like to tell them the same story that my mother told me when I was four. And I asked her why I was the only one in my whole family that used a wheelchair. And she told me that the spine is like a magical tree that has these little magical leaves on it called nerves that help you move your arms and legs. And it just so happens that I'm missing some of my, some of my magical leaves. So anytime that anyone ever asks me, I always like to simplify my answer by telling them that story. And they're like, wow, that's really cool that your mom told you that. Like she came up with it out of nowhere. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I think she was prepared to know that one day I would ask her. So. Well, did you know mom stayed up night and day thinking of this answer? <laughs> <laughs> Late into the night, you know, writing down. <laughs> I just imagine like a parent, you know, like up late at night, like, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? I know. I mean, I can't even imagine like a parent's perspective knowing that eventually their child is going to ask them why they're different than their siblings or different than the other kids at school. So I thought it was a pretty interesting story that she told me, and I like to tell others about it. What was it like for you growing up? Well, the first eight years were amazing. I mean, I dealt with a lot of health issues, but I always had a smile on my face because I had just wonderful people around me. My family was very kind and sweet to me. And, you know, I went to a school that had children with disabilities only up until age eight. So I felt accepted and I felt like I was around people that understood me. And then when I went into public school at age eight, I was thrown into a completely different situation where I was the only person with a physical disability throughout my entire schooling. And it was challenging because a lot of the times kids didn't want to even get to know me because I looked different than them. So I faced quite a bit of bullying, but I think in the end it made me a stronger person and kind of gave me an attitude of you want to doubt me or you want to reject me, but I'm going to show you that I'm better than you think I am. So <laughs> in the end, it kind of, strengthened me. When did you first realize you were different? I mean, I think I was always like very hyper aware of the fact that I was different. I just think that it got more clear to me as I got older and people started pointing out 
my physical differences because as I said, when I was, you know, up until age eight, I was surrounded by nothing but love and care and understanding and peers like myself. So I didn't really have that constant reminder that I was different. And then when I went into public school and faced so much bullying, it was like a daily reminder of like, oh, you're different. You, your back is crooked and you look this way and blah, 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 blah. So it was very, after age eight is when I really became very hyper aware and like self-conscious to some extent about my differences. What is your relationship like with your parents? Unfortunately, my dad passed away when I was 16. Him and I had an amazing relationship. We were like best of friends. I mean, he was a lot older when he had me. He was in his late 40s. So we almost had kind of like a grandfather-granddaughter kind of relationship, more so than like a father and daughter relationship. And I think it was because I'm the youngest of seven. So he was like, all right, I give up trying to discipline people. So, you know, um, I'm just going to let you do your thing. And we had a very good, like, friendly relationship. We always had fun when when he was around. He did a lot of business in Brazil, so I didn't see him very often. But when he was home, I was glued to him like he was the greatest person in the world. And as far as my mom goes, my mom now is my best friend because I've come to realize that she's the only person that has always been there for me throughout all of my trials and tribulations, whether it be health or social rejection or whatever it was, she always had my best interest at heart. As an adult, you you tend to see your parents differently. Like, you know, as a teenager, I would look at her as like, oh, you're not letting me go out and experience things with my friends. Because I, I did have friends and I did, you know, have a social life. I don't want to come come off as if I didn't have one. But she would be very cautious about having me go certain places. And I, I always felt like she was kind of keeping me sheltered. So that created a lot of tension. And now, like, I realize that she did it out of love for me because she knows how much I've been through throughout my life. So I see her in a much better light as an adult, as opposed to when I was a teenager. What adaptations have you made to the world around you? I'm a very adventurous person, and I like to come up with different ways to get things done. And a funny story is when I was little, I really, really loved barbecue potato chips. They were like my favorite snack. And my mom would buy them maybe like once a week or something just to like have them on the weekends. And I and she would hide them from me because she didn't want me to like eat the whole bag in one sitting. But I would always find them because she would hide them in the same spot. And the way that I got around from getting them was instead of like climbing all these things and and doing all this crazy stuff, I would just take a broom and I would knock it down. And that just kind of shows like my thriftiness, I guess, like my scrappiness where like if I want something, I will get it in any way possible. (laughs) 
I mean, it's still like a funny story that my mom tells, like how I, she would come into the kitchen and she would catch me more often than not doing this. And she'd be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, nothing. And she's like, why are you holding the broom to the closet? I'm like, I don't know. And she would be like, do you just want the chips? I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, but I'm going to get them. And I would do it. I would knock it down. And so that's kind of how I've adapted physically is I always find different, like creative ways to get things done. And as far as socially, I've adapted in the sense that I used to be really self-conscious when people would stare at me. And now I've grown to like accept it more. And instead of like putting my head down and wheeling really fast so they don't look at me, I smile and I wave. I kind of break the ice that way. Or if a little kid is staring at me, I'll explain to them how each part of my chair works so they understand it. So I think that that's how I've adapted socially. They're staring at you because you look good. That's what what I would tell myself. Well, yeah, see, that's the thing. Like people, I don't want to sound conceited, but there are people that tell me that I am pretty. So there are times that I don't know if people are staring at me because of my chair or because I'm pretty. So especially if it's like a guy, like it's hard to tell sometimes. So like I'll wave and like I'll just see their reaction. So it's <laughs> you sometimes you can't tell why someone's staring at you. That is very, very true. Yeah, I feel you with the kids staring. I do something very similar if I notice uh a child staring at me, I always feel the obligation to go up and at least say hi. Yes. Yeah, because a lot of the time parents will be like, oh, no, don't look at her. Like, don't draw attention to her. Don't look at the dragon under the bridge. Yeah, it's like, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to, like, bite you if you look at me. I'm going to say hello like anyone would if you were looking at them. Other than the wheelchair, any other physical adaptations you've made? As far as, like, showering, I use a shower chair, and I have a very small bathroom, which is not accessible at all. So I definitely do gymnastic acrobatics (laughs) to get into the shower a lot of the time. And it kind of makes me wonder if there is such a thing as adapted gymnastics, because I'd probably be pretty good at it especially with that like bar swinging thing because <laughs> that's what I pretty much have to do to get into the shower every day. Paralympics bound. <laughs> I am. I'm Olympic bound for sure. <laughs> I've been training my whole life getting in and out of the shower. Now it's my time to shine. <laughs> <laughs> if they have a competition in shower chair transferring, I will get a gold medal for my tricks. <laughs> Tell me about Behind the Chair. How did you get started with that? Behind the Chair got started back in September. It's an online radio show that me and my friend Douglas Longini do. It basically highlights people with disabilities that are going out there and just living everyday lives and doing incredible things and going beyond what people think a person with a disability can do. And I think it's important to highlight that because it helps change the perception that people have. And I am very, very passionate about that because I don't want anybody to think 
that I just sit around and complain all day or because that is the furthest thing from the truth. I'm always trying to do something. So I definitely think that it's important for us to have our voices heard and our stories told about what we can do. And that's kind of how it came about. Originally, I was on a show called Brain Matters, but that didn't work out due to differences between me and the co-host that I had originally. So I transitioned into Behind the Chair with my friend Douglas. I mean, I feel like it's a very successful show. We get a lot of positive feedback from both people with and without disabilities. So I'm very, very proud of it. And I hope that it sticks around for a very long time. Who inspires you? I like to say that everybody that I meet inspires me. And the reason is because everybody has something different that they bring into your life. And it's up to you to take that and learn from it and grow as a person. I like to get inspiration from all the people in my life because they all have very strong personalities and they all have something to give to my life, whether it be good or bad. And I like to to learn from it and grow from it and be a better person every day from it. So I can't say there's one person that inspires me. I mean, if we're talking like celebrities, then I would have to say Martin Luther King Jr. Because his ability to stand up for what he believed in in such a difficult period of time is something very inspirational to me because that's what I try to do every day. I try to inspire people to see people with disabilities differently in a time where we're kind of like second or sometimes even third class citizens in this country because people overlook us so much. And I definitely find inspiration from his peaceful protest personality that he had. Have you ever read about the advocacy and the effort that went into getting the Americans with Disabilities Act passed? Because there was a lot of, for lack of a better term, civil dissonance in getting that going. Actually, what I did was I am the former Miss Butcher of Florida. I just passed on the title to Siobhan Barnes. She just got crowned this past Saturday. And when I was at Miss Wheelchair America back in August of last year, we had a seminar all about disability rights and all about the ADA and who started it and how it came about. And I also did something called the Self-Advocacy Leadership Training Program at University of Miami's Mailman Center for Child Development. And it focused a lot on disability history and the struggles that we faced in order to get the ADA approved. And I just, I feel like when I hear about the struggle, that's what fuels the fire in me to continue my fight to make us be seen in a different light. Because we've gotten this far, but there's still so much more that we need to do in order to be seen as equals. And I love learning about all of that because I feel like it's very inspirational to know how it all started and 
who fought for us to get this far. And now I feel like it's my turn to pass the baton and oh, hold the baton and wheel with it as far as I can go to make a change. Yeah, because there's a lot of history there that I don't think it's really taught in schools. You have to go seek it out yourself about how people stood outside the Capitol and climbed up each stair without their wheelchair or without crutches, things like that. There's a lot of history there that doesn't really get talked about. Exactly. I actually just recently met with the Superintendent Advisory Panel for Exceptional Student Education, which is a very long title, (laughs) for Miami-Dade Public School District. And I spoke to them about a program that I created called the Ubilities Program, which is going to highlight people throughout history and those that are celebrities that have lived or are living with a disability and have been able to overcome their obstacles and accomplish wonderful things. And it actually was approved to be in the Disability Awareness Month for Miami-Dade Public School District. So I'm really looking forward to having that in the schools this October because I think that it'll really help teach children about people that they've never heard of and that they need to hear about because they're remarkable people. Even some of the people that they have heard about that maybe they didn't know had a disability, like FDR or Harriet Tubman, for example. Harriet Tubman had epilepsy. Unfortunately, a beating that she received by her master, she developed epilepsy at a later age. So I think it's going to be a great asset when it comes around in October to be able to teach kids about all these people that maybe they haven't learned about or they have and see them in a different light because they'll now know that they had disabilities. Tell me about the Miss Wheelchair program. How did you get started wanting to be Miss Wheelchair Florida? The Miss Wheelchair America program has been around, I think, since 1972. Don't quote me on that because I might be wrong. (laughs) Um, But I'm pretty sure it is 1972. It started out as just a national competition where women from different states would go to the national competition and compete. And then slowly but surely, every state that would compete in the national kind of broke off into their own state competitions first. It really is a great opportunity for women of many ages between 21 and 60 to go out and speak about changes that they would like to make within the disability community, whether it be in their state or if they make it to the national level, you know, throughout the country, the changes that they want to make. I feel it's a wonderful opportunity for any woman that really wants to make changes. And it was a very big honor for me to win back in April of last year. So, (laughs) you know, I definitely accomplished a lot. I didn't do as much traveling as I had hoped throughout the state of Florida, but I definitely did my absolute best within South Florida to get a lot done, such as beach access and, like I said, the Ubilities program for schools. So these are two of my biggest accomplishments that I was able to 
get done during my reign. So I'm very, very proud of them. What made you want to compete in Miss Wheelchair Florida? It's a funny story. My sister, who lives in New York, actually saw on the news about Miss Wheelchair New York. And she was like, wow, like this is really cool. So she looked it up to see if they had it here in Florida. And coincidentally, they did. So she sent me all the information. And with about two weeks of her badgering me to sign up, I finally decided to do it. And my first year, because I did it three times. My first year, I got second runner-up. My second year, I got first runner-up. And then this past year, I won. So (laughs) I think it was just, I kept going back because I just really felt so determined to spread my message and to have that extra platform that could catapult me to a different level of advocacy that I myself haven't been able to do alone. Because I believe that if we're going to really make change, we can't do it alone. We have to have friends and family and, and different opportunities that can help us spread our message. That was one of the reasons that I kept going back to the pageant, even though the first year my sister pretty much had to like drive me crazy for two weeks to get me to do it. Cause I was like, no, this isn't for me. Like, this is like a beauty pageant. And she was like, no, it's not a beauty pageant. Like, just look at it. It's really cool. So finally I did it. And definitely there are some ups and downs to it. I will say that there were some differences of opinions that I had with the state coordinator throughout my reign. So that was kind of a difficult part to it where (laughs) I am glad that that part's over, but overall, I had a wonderful year where, like I said, I was able to accomplish as much as I had set out to do. What are the categories and criteria for being selected as Miss Wheelchair? There's like a long list of things. I mean, we go there. It's a weekend long. The the Miss Wheelchair Florida event is a weekend, and the Miss Wheelchair America is a week long. So basically what it is, is you do rounds of judging where you talk to judges. There's usually between four to six judges. They ask you series of questions in a room all by yourself and you got to answer as quick as possible and they group you throughout your time there. Then by the, the last night there is where they They ask you a couple more questions, but this time it's in front of the other contestants and it's in front of a crowd. And you also have to say a speech that expresses what changes you want to make throughout your year if you were to be chosen. And, you know, as the title holder, then at the end of that, they tally up everything from the whole entire weekend or week, depending on which pageant you're participating in. Sooner or later that night, they announce the winners. But first they do second runner-up and first runner-up, and then they announce the winner. Funny story, when I actually won, I had messed up my speech. In my head, I was like, all right, there's no way that I'm going to win. Like, I screwed this up. 
right before they announced the winner, I looked at my mom and I shook my head like, no, it's not me. Like, I, there's no way I won. Then I look down and one of the judges is just smiling at me from like ear to ear. And I'm like, why in the world is she smiling at me? And at that exact moment is when they said my name. And I can tell you that I bawled like a baby for like 10 minutes because I was just so happy <laughs> that I won. I did not think that it was going to happen. It was definitely a surprise last year. And it's one that I hold very dear to me. What brings you joy? Okay, well, the thing that most brings me joy would be reading my book series, The Adventures of Cat Girl, to children and seeing their faces light up when they get the message of the book. That, to me, brings me the most joy that I experience. And I would say the thing that brings me the most peace and serenity, <laughs> again, we're going to go back to the beach, I would say the ocean brings me the most peace and serenity because it's just a place where you kind of look out and you're like, wow, my problems are really, really small compared to how huge the world is. So it's definitely my go-to place when I'm stressed out. But as far as joy, I would say reading my books to kids. That's fantastic. Tell me about your book, The Adventures of Cat Girl. Yeah, they're about a superhero in a wheelchair, and she helps kids who are being bullied. I've been very, very fortunate to read my book to probably between 2,000 and 4,000 children. It's really awesome to see how when I first wheel in, they're very scared and like skeptical of like why I'm there. And then when I start talking, and I especially when I start reading my book, I can see their faces change from like fear or sadness to like pure joy. That to me is the coolest thing ever. And that is why I say like, that's my happy place. What is your hope for the future? My biggest hope for the future would be for all of us as the world to just look past the exterior and see people for who they are. Because there's so much more to everybody than just their outer shell. And I don't just mean people with disabilities. I mean people of race, of different races, people of, you know, different orientations. I feel like we all just need to shed all of that and stop labeling people and just see everyone for who they are. That's the most important thing. And that's truly my hope. And that's what I'm fighting for is just equality, mostly for people with disabilities, but in general as well. Um, as I mentioned before, The Adventures of Cat Girl does fight against bullying. And it's not just for kids with disabilities. There's actually one story called um, the Adventures of Cat Girl in the School Project that speaks about racial bullying. So I think if we're going to be an advocate, then we need to be an advocate for everything, not just one spectrum of inequality. It needs to be for everybody that might be overlooked. And I hope that we can all just one day live in harmony and peace.
What do you consider your biggest accomplishment? I don't even know where to begin because everything that I do that is considered an accomplishment means so much to me as a person because I know the struggles that I faced in order to get to that point. It's hard for me to choose, but I would say that the adventures of cat girl is definitely like my little baby. I protect it a lot (laughs) in the sense that I make sure that I only expose my stories to the right schools and the right events. And because I know how precious it is to me and I know what I want to express with it and accomplish with it. So I would say the adventures of cat girl and then right underneath that would be the utilities program because I worked so hard (laughs) on the utilities program. It was a year long project that I worked on and I perfected it for 18 days straight with very little sleep and very little eating Um, because when I get focused on something, I kind of become like tunnel vision and I just want to like get it done and make it perfect. Those would be my two biggest accomplishments. What's the biggest challenge you've had to overcome? I think accepting myself would be the biggest challenge that I've had to overcome. It wasn't even other people accepting me. It was me looking in the mirror and knowing that I'm a beautiful person and that's what matters. I think that that's something that through my accomplishments, I've been able to gain more confidence in believing that I am a beautiful person. How do you think people see you? I mean, I hope that they see me as somebody who is kind-hearted and who wants to help others just live a, a well and fulfilling life and who works, someone who works hard and never gives up on her goals. Those, those are how I hope to be portrayed. However, there's always going to be people that don't want to see those things in you and they want to try to twist it and make it negative. And to those people, I just, I like to keep going even harder to prove to them that they're wrong. So, (laughs) I mean, there are going to be people that see me for how I want to be seen, and there are going to be people that see me for the opposite, and that's just life. If you could have any job, if education, cost, or physical ability were not a factor, just pure enjoyment, what would you most like to do? I mean, I really love being an author, so I might stick with that, but I also would really love the opportunity to do, like, modeling, like, runway modeling, and do more, like, acting and things along that nature. I feel like that would be something that I might be good at because people tell me that I'm a very expressive person. So who knows? (laughs) There might be something in my future with that. I would also really like if there was no disability whatsoever, I would also love to be 
a professional skateboarder or snowboarder. That to me is the coolest thing in the entire world. When I watch people do certain things, I don't watch them per se. I watch their body movement and I almost in my mind try to mimic it and see how I would do it if it were me. I think that's why I find it so fascinating to watch. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say at the pearly gates? I'm proud of you. I think that that would be something that I, I'd want to hear because I do have a very strong faith in God. I believe that there is a God. Um, I'm not a religious person by any sense. I'm more of a spiritual person and I believe that all my struggles that I face are always followed by something really wonderful happening to me and that's because either God intervenes or maybe I have a guardian angel that intervenes not really sure which but (laughs) that always seems to be how my life goes where I am in a really hard part in my life and then all of a sudden it'll just kind of turn around and something really great will kind of pick up and it'll it'll just be like magic or something. <laughs> so I guess I would want him to say, you know, I'm proud of you because he or she has seen my ups and downs and has seen the way that I've handled my ups and downs. That's my last question. Is there anything else you want to talk about? No. I think we're good. Thank you again, Jacob, for having me on the Ability Podcast. It was a pleasure being here. And I just want to let everyone know that if you would like to reach out to me, my email is kat, that's K-A-T, magnoli, M-A-G-N-O-L-I, at gmail.com. And you can find me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. So reach out to me if you want to know more about me or anything that I've done. And if you're curious about getting the Adventures of Cat Girl in your school, you can go to www.realspecialeducation.com. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. (laughs) I really appreciate it too. I'll talk to you later. See you next time. Bye everybody. Thanks so much to Kat for being on this episode. You can find information about this episode and a link to buy The Adventures of Cat Girl at abilitypodcast.com forward slash catmagnoli. You can get in touch with the show on Twitter at abilitypodcast and via email abilitypodcast at gmail.com. If you have a quick moment, please write and review Ability on iTunes. It really helps out the show. And until next time, keep on rolling.